is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. It's really good to have my really very good friend, Anthony Adams, with us this morning. Anthony is the executive director now, is that right? right? (laughs) International executive director of Radstock, which, I quote, is a global network of churches connected for mission. Thank you for that. Is that, is that right? <laughs> yeah. That's what yeah. it says. Yeah, yeah. That's true. But he's a great friend of mine, <laughs> also pioneering some work in the city centre amongst various uh, international communities. And uh, we are thrilled that you're with us this morning. Thank, thank you, you so much yeah. for being here. So let me pray for you, and then it's all yours. Thank you. Father, I want to thank you for this guy. Thank you for his friendship and encouragement of me over so many years. And Father, we pray now that. Um, he would be such a blessing to us as a church. We know he's going to be. So, Father, we pray that he would feel at home amongst us, feel relaxed with us, and, God, that you would speak to us through him, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All yours, my friend. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's uh, really great to be here with you. Thanks for the welcome. And, uh, yeah, been great to be uh, friends with Graham for a number of years. And uh, various ones of you are recognized from different places. We've been living in Derby, me and my family, for about 20 years now <clears throat> and involved in different things. Used to be at uh, uh, one of the pastors at the Woodlands Church over in Alastry. And then a bunch of us moved into the city center area uh, to start something called Urban Life, which uh, reaches out uh, in the Normanton area to some of the different uh, communities and nationalities there. And yeah, as mentioned, I also do a bit with uh, this network called Radstock, uh, working in a few different countries. So uh, traveling a little like Graham does. And um, it's really um, great to be able to come and share with you. Uh, as you think a, th- a little bit more again about this radical hospitality, is that the series name? We're thinking about radical hospitality uh, once again. Um, and, and this week uh, in particular, in keeping with some of the things that I'm involved with, uh, this idea of showing hospitality to friends from other countries, uh, whether it's the traveler, whether it's uh, the worker, the refugee, the asylum seeker, whatever the reason, people from other countries who have come to our country and made their home uh, with us. And as we uh, do this, I want to take a slightly different angle, perhaps a slightly broad angle on hospitality, not thinking just simply about having people in our homes, which is clearly a big uh, part of it and includes that, but also um, thinking a little bit wider, because you know sometimes actually it, it shows more honor to people in some cultures, to go to their home than it does to have them in ours. You know, the way that different cultures see things will will vary. So taking a slightly wider angle and thinking, how do we show hospitality and give a welcome to people in our country, generally, in our lives, in our communities, in our shared spaces? How are we welcoming, going across cultural barriers and loving people? Because that's what it's all about, isn't it? Because people really matter. People really matter. That's the bottom line. That's, that underpins the whole point of the hospitality series, doesn't it? People matter because they're created by God, they're made in his image, and they are loved by him. That is so important to remind ourselves of that and to know that so that every person you see, that is true of them. Every single person in that, this room, it is true of you. Every person that we meet, Uh, Every person that we spend time with, that is true of them. People really matter. And therefore, 
uh, they should matter to us as well. And so we want to try and grow in this and grow the kind of hearts we need and the attitudes that we need uh, to uh, live in this kind of way and show this kind of radical hospitality. And so we're going to look this morning at a passage, which uh, is all very blurry at the minute. Where's the glasses? Here we are. Uh, 1 Corinthians. Please uh, find your Bible, switch it on, however you access God's Word. Find 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And we're going to spend a few minutes looking at this passage and, and seeing what the Spirit has to say to us from this passage. I'm going to read from verse 19, down towards the end of the chapter there, verse 19 down to uh, verse 27. So 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 to 27. And Paul writes this. He says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. For the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. This passage, I think, can help us to uh, see two things. Uh, And the first is this, that engaging across cultures means being servant-hearted. Engaging across cultures means being servant-hearted. And this comes out in what Paul says uh, in these verses, but it is worth picking up a little bit how he's got to this point, because we are jumping in in the middle of a, a big discussion here and trying to rewind a little bit and, um, and hang in there a little bit as we work through some of this, because, you know, Paul, honestly, is sometimes not the clearest as he writes, is he? You might have noticed, you know, in the passages we kind of read, all those kind of brackets, repeats, and, you know, caveats and qualifying. And when I was a school teacher uh, years ago, you know, if, if one of my six, year sixes had, had given this to me, I might have given it back to them and said, do you want to kind of rework it a little bit and, and, and see if you can make it a little bit clearer? And, and far be it from me to say that to the apostle, of course. But yeah, hang in there as we get into this, because basically this is all part of an explanation that's been running through chapters 8 and 9, where Paul's been talking a lot about the issue of people insisting on their rights. And of course, people do have rights. You know, that, this doesn't belittle human rights at all. People do have rights. Paul's point is that they do. But he wants the Corinthians, the people in this church here, to have the humility to understand that sometimes we should, as followers of Jesus, forego those rights for the sake of others. So, in fact, what we see in the first half of chapter 9 that we didn't read is is basically Paul, first of all, claiming certain rights and then showing how he has surrendered those rights 
for the good of the people in the church community in Corinth and, and around. And then he comes to chapter, uh, verse 19 in the passage we read and then says, though I am free, so that's his rights to live however he, he wishes in certain ways, though I am free, I have made myself a servant or slave to everyone, he says, to win as many as possible. And then tries to explain how something of how this works in particular contexts. Okay, so verse 20, you can see in basically in verse 20, he's saying, look, when I'm with the Jewish communities, when I'm in that part of town, that part of the world, if he's invited round or he's in some kind of social gathering, in that setting, his practice would be to keep the various kosher food laws and festival days and other customs that they would have. So, you know, when he's uh, at a, a, invited around to a Jewish uh, household, he doesn't show up with a packet of prawns and a bacon butty just to show his freedom, right? Because that's not the point. He acts in a certain way out of respect for the group around him, even though those laws are ones that he no longer sees as necessary for him to keep. Now, why that is is a whole other discussion, and you can ask Graham later about why that is. Um, but... Uh, the, the point is, even though he didn't believe he needed to act in those ways, he would do so in order to fit in and not cause needless offence. Then, by contrast, verse 21, he says that when he's with the non-Jewish communities, so those who don't follow the Jewish law, where they might be kind of freaked out by some of that stuff, not really understand it, find it socially awkward, then he will exercise his freedom from those kinds of restrictions and adapt or eat or drink uh, according to what would put people at their ease. So he acts one way in one situation, but acts differently in another. Now, he wants us to know it's not that he's lawless. It's not that he's got no principles. He wants us to see that in verse 21. He's not just a law unto himself, doing whatever he likes. There's moral boundaries still. But the thing is, now he's saying he lives in a new relationship to the lawgiver. He, he, he lives by Christ's law and his ways. And so what he's saying is that... In all of this, amidst all the cultural and religious tensions of, uh, and barriers that were there in the first century world in the Near East, where he's operating in a, in a culture, in a situation where the most noticeable cultural marker was whether you were Jewish or not, he will exercise his freedom where it makes sense and fit in with Greek or Gentile culture. But in Jewish culture, he'll observe the food laws and other things and then goes even further, extrapolates it out in verse 22, so that he says to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. Now that's a bit of a familiar phrase, isn't it? All things to all men, as the old versions had it. It's kind of become part of English usage, hasn't it? But the thing is, for us, usually in the way it's used nowadays, it's taken to mean somebody who's kind of trying a little bit too hard to be liked isn't it? You know, somebody who's even a little bit slippery, like a, a politician who's just so desperate for your votes, he'll say anything. You know, I know you can't imagine that, but, uh, you know, sometimes it happens. Uh, and you just think, oh, he's always trying to be all things to all men. So we, we almost think of it as somebody who's kind of spineless and a little bit shifty. But the expression actually is from the New Testament. That's where it comes from. And it is not about Paul being slippery or lacking conviction. Actually, what he's doing is this. He is showing extreme flexibility because he has such a strong conviction, right? He has such a strong conviction that the good news of Jesus matters so much that nothing should be to, uh, permitted to limit access to it for as many people as possible across all kinds of cultural barriers. So this is flexibility. Yeah, it's extreme flexibility, really. 
for a greater cause. It is servant-heartedness in wanting to make it as easy as possible for as many people as possible to have barriers broken down that would stop them from engaging with and experiencing the life-changing love of Christ. Does that make sense? And that's clearly where this becomes relevant to, to us, isn't it? Because all of this is just a cultural expression of the same old issue that has affected the human heart through all the centuries, including our own, which is that we like to do things our own way, don't we? We just do. There is a deep instinct that we have as human beings that just prefers things to be the way that we want them, the way that suits us. But that brings problems if we want to be able to relate across cultures and bring down barriers and show hospitality and welcome and connect with people who may live in different ways to us. And therefore, Paul wants us to be willing to give up wanting things our way and basically to grow bigger hearts than that. To grow bigger hearts and, and live in, in that way, in that freedom. The, uh, the theologian Tom Wright uh, puts it like this. He says, Christian freedom is not freedom to do what you like, but freedom from all the things that stop you being the person God really wants you to be, which is freedom for the service of God and the gospel. So that's what freedom really is. It's not doing what you like. It's freedom from the things that stop you being the person that God wants you to be, which is freedom for the service of God and the gospel. So as I live my life, you know, I could say, look, I, 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 I want to have my life just how I want it. I want to operate in my way, in a way that is culturally comfortable for me, in my comfort zone. But if that means that people around me will remain isolated, unwelcomed, not able to connect with the love of God and so hear the good news of Jesus, then I'm not going to do that. That's the idea. It's saying I will operate in a different way with different people according to what will help them most. It's encouraging us to have a heart attitude which says to people in general, but also visitors, refugees, we love you, we welcome you, and we are willing to adapt, uh, even at times become like you, for the sake of your uh, understanding and your ability to hear and receive the love and freedom and, and blessing of God, we will operate in a way that is more familiar, more understandable, that's perhaps um, uh, in places where you're more comfortable, at times that might fit with the rhythm of how you live, using language you understand, avoiding customs or practices that are unnecessarily offensive or confusing. I will go out of my comfort zone so that you may encounter the message of Jesus' love and grace in your comfort zone. Okay, I will go out of my space and into your space. Does that sound, make, make sense? Does it sound familiar? <laughs> sound like anyone we know? Anyone we've worshipped this morning? We've been singing to? Let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage, but rather made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Philippians 2, of course. When Paul flexes and gives up his rights in the way he does here, he is taking a voluntary position of weakness, which is modeled on Jesus Christ himself. Because at the heart of Christian truth is the Son of God who did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage, but for ours. 
and who was and is the servant king. And so in giving up his rights, he establishes ours. That's what he's done. And he's our model. Why did he act this way? Why did he identify with people so radically? It was so that people like you and me, who were strangers and aliens, foreigners, different ways that the Bible sometimes talks about us because we were far from God, might share in the good news of the kingdom and find welcome. And Paul's concern is that therefore we too, as his body in this world, as he dwells in us, should live out this principle of love and self-giving. So the first thing is, to engage across cultures means being servant-hearted. But there's a second thing too. And that is this, that being servant-hearted means serious training. It means serious training. Because this does not happen by accident. It doesn't happen by accident. You see how the letter goes on in verse 24 down to 27. He starts talking about sports. He starts talking about discipline in sports. He talks about athletes competing and training. And as he writes, what he's got in view here is something called the Isthmian Games. There was a thing called the Isthmian Games in, in the, the, the ancient world there, which were quite a big event, similar to the Olympics, maybe not quite as big. And those games had actually been in Corinth. They were the host city in the spring of AD 51, which was when Paul was there with the Corinthians. So this is maybe just a couple of years, a few years later, it's going to be in their memory. I mean, lots of us can still remember London 2012 pretty clearly. You know, this is just a couple of years ago. He's, like, he's kind of appealing to them here. You remember the Isthmian Games in Corinth? You remember that? Everyone came to town. We had all the different things going on. The, the, it, was a, it was a big event. They had six basic events that made up the, the games. They had running, wrestling, jumping, boxing, javelin, and the discus. Okay, And we'll see how Paul uses two of those to make a, his point later. And then... Uh, the, the various winners were given a crown, a wreath. Uh, the winners raw, wore a wreath uh, made of, believe it or not, celery. <laughs> I know celery is a bit of a, you know, like it or don't like it thing, isn't it? For all you celery uh, haters out there, this is an alternative use for celery. Uh, they would actually give you a crown made of celery. Uh, limp celery as well, so that it would bend, you see? You think, see how that works? which is kind of slightly odd to us, isn't it? It's a little bit strange. Um, slightly on-the-turn vegetables on your head as a reward. But, you know, Paul's point makes a bit of sense, doesn't it, in saying this is a crown that will not last. <laughs> no, it's going to be in the compost in a few days. Contrasted with the crown that will last forever. So verse 25, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Everyone goes into strict training. Okay? These Isthmian games, they were, they were famously strict. So even to be allowed to enter the games, you had to commit publicly to a 10-month training program. And if the training rules were not kept, you were disqualified before the games even started. So it's very strict. And so in all of this imagery here that he's using, he's saying, people, listen to me. Living for Jesus, living like Jesus, being servant-hearted like Jesus, this takes discipline. It is not something that comes naturally. The humility and servant-heartedness does not just happen. It is countercultural at the best of times. In the ancient world, it wasn't even respected. You know, nowadays, people uh, would see humility as a good thing, even if we don't actually do it. Uh, we'd acknowledge it's a virtue, but in those days, it wasn't seen as a virtue. It was just seen, uh, to, you know, to... to 
to take the lower station or a lower place in society was just seen as dumb. Why would you do that? It's countercultural, it's counterintuitive, it takes discipline. And so in verse 26, he's saying, if you're running, you focus. You, you run that race to the finish line. You don't just run aimlessly. You don't show up on a whim with you know, a can of Coke and a packet of crisps and say, yeah, I'll give this a little go, like a jog around the park. No, you, you, you're serious about it. And boxing, you don't just do a little bit of shadow boxing, beating the air, you know, especially for the boxing of this time, which was even more brutal uh, than, than boxing today. They didn't have rounds to break it up. It just kept going. It was intense. Proper training was needed. I strike a blow to my body, says Paul. Literally, I treat it severely. I discipline myself to learn to be flexible and adapt for the purpose of serving and blessing others. You know, we need to get into shape, don't we? We need to get into shape. If we're going to show hospitality across cultural divides and meaningfully relate to people and truly love them and bless them, it's going to mean a bit of a workout. The vision here is to have strong, big hearts that, that really love and love well, and such that we are uh, able and then willing to follow the example of Christ and put others' needs before our own. And by the way, it's not just about how things are done in church meetings. Because, you know, there may be things to think about there, and, and you have on some, in some measure, you know, different language on the screen even as we sang earlier. But it's not just about how we do things in our church meetings and how we organize ourselves, because most of our lives are out and about, aren't they? In the cut and thrust of everyday life. Most of it is going to be about how we interact and respond to people and where we're prepared to go and how we're prepared to do things differently. And yes, welcoming into our homes, uh, but also engaging people in other ways in, that, that puts them at their ease and serving them so that they are know, know that they are loved and welcomed. And in turn, that the God and Christ we serve loves them and welcomes them too. You know, earlier this year, I was um, in the Balkans, I was spending some time in Albania, uh, visiting some of the churches in our network there. And I was talking with a, a pastor uh, called Samir. And he leads a church that is um, mainly made up of marginalized people. A lot of people who suffered a lot of rejection and struggle in their lives. A lot of Roma people in that community. And he, and he talked about the, the need to break down uh, barriers in different ways as they sought to reach out. And uh, he spoke of one man that, they were con uh, that was part of their church family now whose life was such, so difficult and his home was so bad that he would just never see people. He was just so ashamed. He would never have anyone in his house or near his house. Uh, it, it was just very, very isolating. But some friends from the church managed to persuade him to let them come around and, and do some work on the house. And they, they did his house up and they repaired things and they cleared it and all of that, such that he then he was able to, to come out again and he, and he joined with them and he met with them. And he, and he said something, uh, an expression... Uh, that translates as something like, you have given me a face again. Isn't that a beautiful expression? You have given me a face once again. And so he was able to connect in with the community again. Sometimes it's being willing to serve in a way that is needed, putting yourself out. Sometimes it's accommodating differences and an approach to things. You know, some of the things, uh, cultural things we on our Urban Life team have come across in working with people in, in the Normanton area include things like timekeeping. You know, it's a big one, isn't it? Sometimes the attitude to time can be very, very different in different cultures, especially non-Western cultures. 
both in terms of expectations of punctuality, even sometimes what people mean by 10 o'clock. <laughs> what does that actually mean? Uh, in terms of how long is spent together, perhaps, when the people think something's going to happen. So, you know, uh, do, you, do you do things just on short notice? Shall we eat together? Yeah, when? Now. Or come around tonight. I'm waiting for you. I've had a guy say that to me. When, when are you thinking? Now. <laughs> you know, sometimes we might say, uh, yeah, I can fit you in three weeks on Wednesday at two o'clock. But we need to think what we might be unwittingly communicating by a statement like that might actually be coming off as rude. Food is another area, of course, so often at the heart of hospitality. Uh, sometimes it means uh, going somewhere and not really being sure what's going to happen or what you're going to eat. Particularly, as, as I say, if you maybe put people at their ease by going on their turf rather than making them come into yours. We've had some situations where we've unwittingly made people feel quite awkward. They've come to our house, but they've not known quite what's going to happen. And sometimes it's great, sometimes it's more difficult. We've been uh, over to friends' houses. We think we're going for a coffee and discover we're having a whole meal and we don't leave for hours. Sometimes you're sitting there, you're not quite sure, is the meal over yet or is there another bit to come? If I say I want to leave now, is that rude? You know, all these different things you're trying to, to think about. Sometimes we have been with some friends and they just sat and watched me eat, which was a bit strange. I'd say, oh, we ate earlier, but we want you to eat and they'll sit there and watch you eat. That was a, that was a strange one for me. All kinds of things that may not be in our comfort zones. I was out with friends one time um, where I thought I was giving this guy a, a lift, this friend uh, a lift to Sheffield for an appointment, and then just coming back, him and his family. But I discovered when we were there that actually he had other plans. He said, oh, no, I have friends in Sheffield. I'm a person of honor in Sheffield. We have to get... And he had a whole tour lined up, which wasn't what I thought was going to happen. It took most of my day. There's that old thing you may have heard of where many cultures will decline uh, food or drink uh, the first three times. I think the Iranians call it tarov, which is done out of deference and respect. There's kind of a, a, a polite dance that goes on so that you don't look too keen, so you're waiting for the next time so you can say yes. But we might give up asking after twice because we think it's rude to keep pushing. Gets complicated, doesn't it? How we speak, how we answer questions... Sometimes we need to adapt to speaking less directly because that can seem as rude, but it also means we need to be able to read between the lines when somebody might be saying no to us but not actually saying no. All kinds of things where we need to be able to be flexible and be able to look through the lens of different cultural assumptions. We're so used to our own culture. It's just the air we breathe, isn't it? We hardly see it, but we have them too and being able to respond to those different things. You know, some of you are involved in international outreach of different kinds, or maybe you will be in the future, and you need to flex in this kind of way, don't you? And I'm wanting to encourage you to keep on doing it. Sometimes it's tiring, sometimes it's hard, sometimes you get it wrong and you just have to hold your hands up. But keep on doing it. But maybe you're not involved in something uh, cross-cultural formally as such, but you know, just in the flow of life in our city, you meet people, you work with people, you have neighbours, something for many of us here. The applications, of course, run wider uh, of this whole uh, passage and the principles here because some of you may in the future may find yourself sent by the Lord to be in completely different parts of the world and to therefore be giving up all kinds of rights and comforts to go and live and work in places where people need the love of Jesus so desperately and you'll need to learn to live in a completely different way. 
I know your, your networks of New Frontiers and Christ Central are, are active in, and deliberate in wanting to see that happen. And maybe God is saying to some of you this morning, this is going to be how you live. This is what your life will be like. But you know, the reality is, even if you are British born and bred, the most English person in this room, whatever that exactly means, <laughs> living and serving perhaps in the most British neighborhood in our city, <laughs> it's still going to be necessary to have this kind of servant heart in an ever post-Christian context. Because a Christ-like servant heart is needed to have that bigger horizon globally, yes, and to engage in the multicultural areas of our city, yes, but even to cross the street or cross the room where you are. This kind of attitude underpins really everything that you've been thinking about in terms of radical hospitality, to have this servant-heartedness that is giving. As churches, we need to grow in this Christ-like servant-heartedness and this flexibility. Because sometimes, let's be honest, churches can be the least flexible groups in our communities, can't they? You know? That's my seat. We've never done it that way before, and various other old chestnuts. But as we follow our Lord Jesus and, and get some of these principles, surely we as churches should be the most flexible of communities, shouldn't we? We should be the most flexible. So what should we do? As we try and pull it together, how do we get our hearts into shape on this? Like, practically, what do we really do? Well, you know, I, I like my Saturday morning routines in our house. Nip out to Lidl, get some pastries, watch a bit of James Martin with my wife, have some coffee. I like my coffee to be strong and black and made in a cafetiere. I like food that's spicy and hot. I like my books arranged in a certain order. I like my music loud. I like, don't like people to get in my way when I'm driving. I like the open road, you know? There's various things that I like. But I can't always have what I want, can I? And the question is, what happens when I can't? Willingness to adapt and serve in whatever way is needed with the people that you put in front of us and whose lives you have caused to intersect with ours. Lord, I pray that you would bless this church community here and the people that you have uh, uh, given them that are part of the congregation and those that they know and seek to bless in the communities around. Lord, would you strengthen them and help them, fill them with your spirit, fill them with your attitude, fill them with your love, fill them with your loving flexibility so that they may show hospitality and welcome to people who need you and who need your love. And I pray that you'll do that for the sake of your great name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.